Well, good morning. I just want to add my welcome to all of you here in the sanctuary, to those of you down in the fellowship hall or at the conference center in Fairfax, to those of you who are still curled up at home, maybe under the covers or in front of the fireplace. Uh, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you've taken this time to spend in, in worshiping our Lord together. My name is David, and I have the privilege of continuing our Advent series, and we're going to be looking at the servant song in Isaiah 42. So before we dive into this text, let's pray one more time. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. And Father, as we come to it, we ask that you might open our ears to hear the song of the servant that we might not only be changed for eternity, but we might actually be transformed in this moment. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So for many of us, going from the present in the DMV in 2020 back to the ancient Near East in about 600 BC, that can feel a little bit like Hank Morgan waking up in England in the 5th century. That can be a little bit like Marty McFly popping into Hill Valley, California in 1955, or Dr. Sam Beckett showing up somewhere in the 20th century trying to figure out where am I and what's going on. Now, for some of you who are time travel fans, you got every one of those references. Others of you are like, who is Sam Beckett? I have no idea. Marty McFly I've heard of, but Sam Beckett, I have no idea. Here's what you need to know. It can be difficult sometimes when we show up in an unfamiliar place and context to orient ourselves with all that's happening, the characters and the context of the story. And as we go to Isaiah, I actually think uh, most of us are more familiar with the context of Isaiah th than we actually realize. In this Christmas season, it's not uncommon to, to see various titles for, for Jesus, uh, in, even in the broader culture. You'll hear uh, the words like Emmanuel or, or Prince of Peace, and both of those titles for Jesus come from the book of Isaiah. For many of you, maybe you're listening to that famous choral piece, Handel's Messiah, and, and most of that comes from the book of Isaiah as well. Or, or for those of you from a church background, there's a lot of common phrases that we repeat that actually come from the book of Isaiah, like the lion laying down with the lamb, or a voice crying in the wilderness. All of these phrases come from the book of Isaiah. And, and in the Gospels, if you actually look at all the prophets that Jesus quotes, more than half of the time, Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And commentators have pointed out that the Gospels and Acts and the letters of Paul and, and, and Revelation, there are just countless uh, references to Isaiah. One commentator says you can find about 250 references to Isaiah in the New Testament. I don't know if that's true or not. You can talk to Bill Fuller Love about that later. But I know it's a whole lot. Isaiah is quoted a lot in the New Testament. So much so that one early church father named Jerome called it the fifth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Isaiah. But even though we may be more familiar with Isaiah than we think, there's still much we may not know or remember about the context. 
Do you remember the 30-second history lesson that JT and Rob and Bill went over in their sermon last week? Do you remember the story of the people of Israel? We looked last Sunday night at Exodus 15 uh, when God delivered his people out of slavery from Pharaoh. You remember Joshua led them into the promised land. And then once they were in the promised land, God established kings. And you remember uh, King David, he rose up and he, um, he established the kingdom there and they expanded its borders. And then his son, Solomon did the same thing and it was glorious, but that didn't last very long, right? Because they started fighting among themselves. They started forsaking the Lord. And then in the midst of that, God allowed the Assyrians to come in and to judge Israel. And then not only did the Assyrians come in and devastate the kingdom, also the Babylonians about 120 years later came and did the same thing. So where does the prophet Isaiah and where does Isaiah 42 set up in this story? Well, this chapter is after the Assyrians have come and conquered Israel, and it's right before the Babylonians are coming in to do the same thing. And so it's after the Assyrian conquest, and it's a little bit prior to the Babylonian conquest. And if you read Isaiah... If you read back through the story of Isaiah, you can hear how the prophet describes everything that is happening in the nation of Israel at this time. And to be honest, it's horrific. And it's worse than you even think. If you go back in chapter 1 and 16 and 17, it will describe the people of God as being unfaithful. It will describe the people of God as being murderers, as thieves, as idolaters. And, and worst of all, they're not just doing this to each other. They're doing this to the weak and the vulnerable in their country. And so they're being destroyed. They're being devastated uh, by, by Assyria. There's the impending judgment coming from the Babylonians. And so there's all these external threats. And not only that, they're being horrible to each other. And so they're looking around at each other and they're asking these questions. Man, we've really messed up. <laughs> Is there any hope for us? Is anything going to change can anything get better? Hey, I, I, I mean, and what about me? I've done some of these things that Isaiah talks about. How is God going to treat me, someone who has messed up? What will God say to his people? Maybe some of you can resonate. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've done some things that you're not proud of. And you're sitting there this morning. I wonder what God thinks of me. And I wonder what God would say to me in this Advent season. Or maybe you're looking around the world right now and you're looking at things from the election and you're looking at things from the pandemic and you're saying, is, any, is this ever going to get better? You know, maybe we get a vaccine, but then what happens again when, you know, another strand comes back in a few more years? Like, does this world ever get any better? Does it ever really change? And that's where the people of Israel found themselves. Will this world ever get any better? And what is God Think of me in this moment. Well, that's what Isaiah 42 is about. It's about a people who have blown it and what God is going to do about it. So for you time travel fans, hop in the DeLorean with me and let's go to the 600 BCs. We've titled this sermon, The Servant's 
song. And so really want to focus on the first four verses today and dive really deeply into understanding four things about the servant. Want to understand four things about the servant from the first four verses. These four verses are talking about a mysterious figure that's going to come. Verse 1 begins to tell us a little bit about the identity of the servant. Look down in verse 1. It says, Behold my servant, look, look at my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and in whom my soul delights. God is describing this servant as someone who is upheld, chosen, and delighted. Now, what does that mean? Upheld means that this servant is going to be, uh, is going to be um, by the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Lord would support, deliver, exalt, equip, supply, and vindicate this servant, that he would give him all that he needs to accomplish his mission. That's what it means to be upheld. Now, what does it mean to be chosen? Well, pretty much exactly what that sounds like. The sovereign Lord had selected, picked, and designated the servant to fulfill the promises and receive the blessings of the covenant. But maybe perhaps the most amazing part of the identity of this servant is as being described as being delighted in by God, as being delighted in by God, that the servant would not just be selected, that the servant would not just be supported, that the servant would not just be a tool of God, but that the servant would be an object of delight and joy and favor. So verse 1 tells us a little bit about the identity of this mysterious figure that's to come. Now look down at the second half of verse 1 and verse 2. It says, I will put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. And this begins to tell us about the mission of the servant, the mission of the servant. God puts his spirit on him to bring justice to the nation. In the first four verses, justice is mentioned three times. So what is justice in reference to? Most of us know that justice is in reference to to punishing evil. But we also need to understand that justice also means to to do rightly by and to bring a, a fair and kind solution and resolution to all people. And so in other words, the mission of the servant is to squash all evil and to advance the beautiful good, to make everything right and to return it back to what the world ought to be, perfectly just. All is full of peace. And notice about a little bit more about the mission. It says this servant will not cry aloud, will not lift his voice or make it heard in the street. What does that mean? It's just in contrast to domineering earthly kings and and politicians, maybe like Cyrus, that this servant is not going to startle you. He's not going to talk over you. And he's not going to to do this in self-promotion in public Discourse, And so the mission of this servant is to bring justice to the nations. 
And then look down at verse 3. He begins to describe the type of people that the servant will come to. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. This servant is going to be powerful enough to make everything right in the world, but he's going to be gentle and kind enough to deal with bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks. Let's camp there on those two metaphors. What does it mean to be a bruised reed? Well, think about this word bruised. Kids, for most of us, sometimes we hear, like when we get hurt, and we might hear our parents say, well, well, thank goodness it's only a bruise, as opposed to it being a broken bone or something like that. But this bruising can also be translated as being crushed. And it's this idea of an internal injury. In, in some senses, it communicates a death blow that you're not completely broken into a bruised reed, but you're bent at an angle. You're not snapped in two, but internally there's no hope for this reed to ever repair itself and to ever produce grain again. A bruised reed (laughs) being internally crushed so that you're incapable of repairing yourself. (laughs) Can you imagine that feeling of being broken beyond repair? That maybe on the outside things still look like they're sort of okay, but internally you're doubled over in pain and you're ready to die. You're ready to give up on life, realizing that you've reached the limits of your own ability. That's what it means to be a bruised reed. What does it mean to be a faintly burning wick? Well, exactly what it sounds like. You know, many of you may have candles in your home right now, and and when that candle burns down to the very bottom and it runs out of its fuel source, whether oil or wax, it begins to go out. And so this is a candle that is running out of fuel. It can no longer stay lit. It's fragile. It's hopeless. It's starved for air, and it's ready to burn out. (laughs) Can you imagine that feeling? It's like being at the end of your rope and you know you can't tie a knot and hold on as the Hebrew motivational poster tells you to do. What kind of people does a servant come to? The servant doesn't come to mighty oaks or blazing bonfires, but the servant comes to bruised reeds and barely burning candles, candles, hearts not alive and hearts not aflamed with the love of God. That's the type of people that the servant comes to. And then look down at verse 4. It says, He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. What does this mean? This verse tells us about the means or the way or the method that the servant is going to accomplish all that he is promised to do. The servant will accomplish his mission through suffering. 
The, the servant is going to suffer, but he will be strong enough to persevere, to not stumble or falter until the work is finished. Now, this is somewhat hidden in our English Bibles, but our footnote really helps us out. If you have an ESV Bible and you're looking at verse 4 and you see that word discouraged, you may see a footnote that it says, or bruised. You see, what's hidden in our English translations there is verse 4 picks up on the same verbs from verse 3. Grow faint and be discouraged is translated as faintly burning and bruised from verse 3, communicating that the servant will eventually be crushed and extinguished, but not until his justice is established. One commentator translate this, translates this verse this way. He says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, talking about us. But now going to the servant, it says, In faithfulness the servant will bring forth justice. He will not smolder or be bruised till he establishes justice on the earth. So you see that the servant is actually going to suffer. The servant is going to be bruised. The servant is going to be crushed, but not until he finishes his mission. I love the Bible. I love scripture. And as I've dug into this, the beauty and the unity of all of these 66 books just comes out. And as you're meditating on scripture, just stop and think for a minute. Have I ever heard this phrasing before about being bruised? And and for many of us who've grown up in the church, that takes us back to Genesis, takes us back to Genesis 3.15, when the very first gospel sermon was preached, when God was talking to the servant and Adam and Eve were overhearing what God was saying to the serpent. And do you remember what God said to the serpent? He said, listen, the seed of Eve, your descendant, this servant is going to crush the head of Satan. But what is going to happen He will bruise your heel. He will bruise your heel. And again, we have a tendency to minimize bruising, to think that it's only a flesh wound, to think that it's minor. But again, it's this idea of a death blow that you may have crushed the snake's head, but in the process, he bites your heel, and there's that deadly, venomous strike. And so we see that Isaiah picks up this theme from Genesis. And this is even more explicit in another one of the servant songs in Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, when it says the servant was bruised or crushed for our iniquities. So what do we learn about the servant in Isaiah 42? Well, we learn that the servant's going to be delighted in by God that the servant will establish justice for all nations, that the servant is powerful, yet he is also gentle, and he will suffer, but he will not fail. (laughs) In the midst of Israel's failures, in the midst of their suffering, the Lord is promising to send a servant to do that which Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Samson, Samuel, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, and even Isaiah could not do. 
Isaiah tells Israel that a servant is coming to deal with everything, to make all things new and to bring restoration. And it took 600 years, but that servant showed up and his name was Jesus. And if we look at how Isaiah describes who this servant will be and what he will do, it is striking. If you look at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, it's apparent that Matthew is screaming to his Jewish audience like a lightning bolt that Jesus fulfills the identity of the servant. Do you remember what happened in Matthew 3? It's the baptism of Jesus. And so as we think back to Isaiah 42, 1, where it says the servant's going to be one that the Lord delights in. The servant is going to be one that the spirit of the Lord descends upon. And then you go to Matthew 3, and there's the baptism of Jesus when he's coming to the Jordan River. And John the Baptist is there, and a voice from heaven cries out, what? This is my son in whom my soul delights. Isaiah 42, 1, and the spirit of the, the, and the spirit of the Lord descended upon him as a dove. This was like a lightning bolt to a Jewish audience. Here, Jesus is being declared to be the servant of Isaiah 42. <laughs> to a Jewish audience, the Lord's beloved And spirit anointed was unmistakable. But then think about the servant's mission. The servant's mission. The ministry of Jesus was visible in Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and Jerusalem. And what did Jesus do? He brought justice. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He made the lame walk. He opened the eyes of the blind. And he declared that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. To people living in a fallen world, he was giving them a foretaste of what justice looks like to the ends of the earth. This is the way it's supposed to be, complete renewal and restoration. And here's a small appetizer of what is to come. And then think about the servant's people. Think about the type of people that Jesus mended to the type of people that were healed and fueled as Jesus invited all these bruised reeds and faintly burning wicks to do what? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. To people who know they are bruised and broken, the great physician comes to heal those who are in need of mending and healing. I love just looking at a few places in Scripture of where and how God does this. There's a random place that maybe many of you have not heard of before, but in 1 Kings 19, there's a prophet named Elijah, and he's having a bad day and a really bad year. And so he's on the run. He's dying on the inside. He's cracking under pressure, so much so that in 1 Kings 19.4, he says, God, take away my life. I don't even want to live. <laughs> and how does God respond to this bruised reed? 
God sends an angel to him. And what do you think this angel from God is going to say to this bruised reed? Hey, Elijah, buck up. You've seen me do some pretty amazing things, right? Stop wallowing in your own self-pity party and let's get to work. Is that what the angel does? The angel doesn't do that at all. The angel shows up and says, Elijah, and see you're tired. Let me cook you a meal. (laughs) What kind of meal was that that an angel cooks? Let me cook you a meal and take a nap, rest. And then Elijah wakes back up, and the angel does the same thing. He cooks him another meal and tells him to rest. Do you see how God is dealing with a bruised reed? Or think about two better-known stories in the New Testament. In Luke 15, the, pro- the, the story of the prodigal, the parable that Jesus fit, that tells, after the, 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 the younger brother, after the youngest son basically tells his father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. He goes out and blows it. And then finally decides to come back to the father. He's just hoping that he'll be welcomed back into the home as a servant. And what happens? The father's been looking for him every single day. And when he sees his son, he runs to him. He embraces him and he kisses him. That's how the father deals with a faintly burning wick. And what about the woman caught in adultery in John 7? You remember that story? She's ripped from the arms of her illegitimate lover early one morning by the hypocritical sexist Pharisees. It's basically a trap for Jesus, but Jesus won't allow there to be collateral damage. And Jesus did not bruise that reed or snuff her out. He gets them to drop the rocks, and then he looks at her as she's probably looking down, and he asks her a question, where are those that condemn you? (laughs) Can you imagine her looking up? And seeing no one around but Jesus. And then Jesus looks at this bruised reed and this faintly burning wick, and he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's how Jesus deals with people who are bruised and broken by the fall. But then, fourthly, we see the way of the servant. How is Jesus going to accomplish this? The servant's means was evident and explicit as Isaiah 42 was quoted in the Gospel of Matthew. Later in the day, if you look at Matthew 12, verses 15 through 21, it's in the context of the Pharisees attacking Jesus, and he doesn't engage in public discourse. But Matthew comments in his Gospel in verse 17, he says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. To a people who were bruised, poisoned, and crushed, Jesus was bruised, poisoned, and crushed so that he could mend our injuries, satisfy our thirst, and bring us peace. Jesus is the servant who was promised in Isaiah 42. So Jesus is the true servant who comes to Israel and he comes to us in the DMV in the 2020s. So what does it look like for us to think about the servant song in our life?
there may not be Assyrians and Babylonians ravaging us in judgment, but we're still living in exile. We haven't returned to a place better than the garden. And though Jesus has come the first time, and this is what people in the Old Testament couldn't wrap their, their minds around originally, that, that the Messiah, that the servant would come in, 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 in two stages, that he would come the first time and he would inaugurate his kingdom, that he would continue to build it now, but then one day, someday, he's going to come back and consummate his kingdom when all of these promises and prophecies will come to fruition. He will come back to fix the world and to finish what he started. But right now, we live in between the advents. And so as we look around, there's still evil around us. There's human trafficking. There's the murder of children. There's racism and brutality. There's theft and oppression. And not only is there evil around us, but there's suffering in our world. There's pandemics and brain tumors, car wrecks, and starvation. And we ask these questions, is there any hope after we continue to make a mess of our world and the world continues to make a mess of us? Is there any hope? And Advent, Advent turns our eyes to the servant's identity, to the servant's mission, to the servant's people, and to the servant's means in 2020. If you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, if you haven't yet met Jesus, I ask you today, do you hear the servant's song in Isaiah 42? Because the servant was delighted in by the Father, you too can experience that same love and joy from the Father. Because the servant <laughs> brings justice to the nations, we can be confident that he will bring perfect peace and righteousness to all people. And, and because the servant comes to bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, we can be mended and refueled in his presence. And because the servant suffered, died, and rose again, we too may suffer and die, but friends, we will rise again. This is how the servant deals with us. And, and can I just give you just an encouragement here? We can be really hard on ourselves in this pandemic. How we're trying to educate our children, how we're trying to navigate working remotely, how we're trying to deal with our own mental health when we're built for, for, for human connection, and that's so hard in this moment. Friends, I, I want you to see how kind and how tender the servant is to us. And so I want you to borrow that tenderness and to be that same way towards yourself. If Jesus is that kind to you, Maybe you need to be a little bit kinder to yourself as well. Have you met the servant? But what does this look like for those who have met the servant? What does this mean for those of us who do describe ourselves and are Christians? How do you sing songs of hope in the DMV? Well, you do it by working in God's kingdom so that others will know and will hear the songs that are being sung about Jesus. 
That's what 1 Peter 2.21 says. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. The same mission and means to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth with boldness and with gentleness is to be reproduced in us, his disciples. We're talking about this with our staff and in our recent new members class, we were talking about our capital pres mission statement in that second line, what we're to be about to make disciples who make a difference. Disciples who make a difference can sound very redundant, but we intentionally chose that. Why? Because most of us in our tradition and in the D.C. context think that we've made a disciple when we learn something. (laughs) And certainly discipleship includes knowledge, but it's more than that. It's making a difference. It's taking action, bringing justice to the DMV and to the world. In all of our ministries and in all of our missions, we are prayerfully seeking to take the Lord's beautiful word and justice to the ends of the earth. Some of you are thinking, well, how can I do that this week? Let me give you a practical way to just think about this coming Saturday on December 12th. Our our deacons are leading our annual Capitol Press Service Day, family-friendly around-the-yard service projects to support the Capitol Press Church family. If you would like, or if you know someone in your neighborhood or in your friend network that needs a small group of our members to assist with an outdoor service project, then let us know. That's just a small taste of bringing justice. It's just a small nibble of what it looks like for restoration, for healing to come to our world. So friends... As we've jumped in the DeLorean from 600 B.C. to the A.D. 30s and then now to the 2020s, my prayer has been that we will have worshipped the beauty and the majesty of both the first and the second coming of Jesus. Here's a sermon in a sentence. When we listen to the good news in the servant song, we can sing songs of hope in our lives and to the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we reflect on the servant song in Isaiah 42, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would minister to us, and in turn, we would speak to and minister to the world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.